You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Well, hey, Valley, uh, so glad to have you together as we continue in our series on, on the book of Joseph. And uh, I'm so sorry to be coming to you from a screen instead of in person. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But if you would stand or remain standing, I want to begin this message by, uh, by reading for you from, from Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to look at verses 2 and 3. Would you, would you listen now to the word of the Lord? says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now let's stop right there. Go ahead, go ahead and grab a seat, and, and uh, grab that seat, and, and you know, it's the new year, and last week we had the beginning of our, uh, our series. Last week we had the first weekend of the new year, and, uh, and I don't know about you, but I love, I love the beginning of a year. You know, for the beginning of a year, I, I have my own kind of uh, routine and habits where I, uh, I evaluate my last year. I evaluate some of the, the habits that I had formed that I like, some of the habits that I want to form that I haven't formed yet. I evaluate some of the things that maybe I've, I uh, feel like were not good for my life, and I figure out how to maybe uh, push those out of my life more and more. The new year, really, it's a great start. And I'll tell you what, this year, 2022, out of the gate, I... I just was so excited for the new year. I was so excited for this series last week. The, the beginning of this series on Joseph was, uh, what a wonderful passage that we, we covered last week. What a, what a wonderful message of how God is, uh, has Joseph, not just as a victim, but is going to be a victor and ultimately a vessel. And we're going to continue with that. But I was so excited to, to launch that, and it felt like it launched so well. I'm so excited about our, uh, our brand new daily reading podcast during the weekdays. If you don't know, uh, I'm doing a short message every day of the week that is on YouTube and on a podcast that's just kind of coming at you as a devotional style out of our Valley New Testament reading. All of this new stuff had me so excited. I, honestly, I feel like, man, God's presence is evident. And then bam, last night... <laughs> my son not feeling very well. And, uh, and so we do the test thing, and sure enough, he, uh, he is sick. And, and so because he's sick, our family, we kind of do the lockdown thing. And, and because we're doing the lockdown thing, that means I, I get to return to this joyful experience of preaching to a camera instead of to my church family in the same room. That's, uh, that's a little sarcastic if you can't tell. I, I, I'm willing to do this. I, I, I love that we have the technology and the ability to do this. But I'll tell you what, I love gathering with the church. I love hearing you sing and singing with you. I, I love when we gather and open up the word and I can look at your eyes and, and now all I can see is all of these chairs and then Andrew social distance in the, in the far back in the, in the sound booth. And, uh, and I can only see like the top of his head, you know? And so uh, I, I miss it. And it would be really easy to be down. It would be really easy to be frustrated. It would really be easy to be a little angry and disappointed. But, but God isn't just evident when everything's going good. 
God's presence is not just evident when I am kind of high after a great weekend last weekend and, and excited about all the things that it seems like the Lord's doing. God, his presence is not just evident in the good. It's also evident in the hard. In fact, today, the message title is The Good, the Bad, and the Seductive because what we're going to see is we're going to see no matter what you're going through, no matter whether things are wonderful in life or things are challenging or even you're facing strong temptation, here's what we're going to see. The Lord is always with his people. The Lord is always with his people. Do you ever, uh, do you ever doubt God's presence in your life? Do you ever have those moments when you, you kind of look around at your situation and your circumstance and, or even look interior inside and, at your own soul and you're like, where is God? Or, or let me ask you a different question. Do you ever, you ever wondered what, what might happen to your life that would cause you to give up on believing that God is present and that he's good? Is there anything that could happen in your life that would lead you to kind of like throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm kind of done with this God thing? What, what, what could that look like in your life? You see, today we're going to pick back up in Joseph's story. And, and if, if last week's story about Joseph's brother's betrayal of him and selling him into slavery was not bad enough for him, I'll be honest, things get even darker for Joseph today. As we continue into Genesis 39, things get even more difficult. And yet, here's what we're going to see. The Lord is always with his people. Let me say that again. The Lord is always with his people. So if you have not opened up your Bible yet, will you open it up to to Genesis chapter 39? Now, I know that we were in Genesis 37 last week, and this week we're in 39, and you might be wondering, Mike, why, why not chapter 38? Well, chapter 38 is a little bit of an excursus in the life of Judah. There's very much uh, a lot that we could apply to this, but, but for the sake of this series, I'm just going to stay close to the story of Joseph. And so turn with me to Genesis 39, and, and here's the first section what we're going to see. What we're going to see is the Lord is with his own in times of success. God is with his people when things are going well. Let me show you what I mean. Let's pick up in verse one. I'm gonna read for you verses one through six. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard in Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had, bought, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So so Joseph found favor in in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put Joseph in charge of all that he had. Verse 5. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
What do we see here? We see incredible success in Joseph's life. We see that the Lord is with his own in times of success. But but here's what I want you to see in this passage. The, The Lord's presence is the key to this passage. The the fact that God is present, the Lord is present with Joseph, that is the key to this passage. I mean, look with me, look with me at what the Lord's presence does in this passage. First of all, it brought Joseph success. It's not Joseph's good looks or ingenuity or wisdom or integrity or character, although he has all those things. That's actually not what brings his success. What brings his success? It's the Lord's presence. Look at verse two. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now now notice, the Lord is with him. And because the Lord is with him, Joseph ends up in the house of the Egyptian master. Now, for a young man who is good-looking in form, he's probably strong, and and whatever it takes to work hard, he has it. To be in the house is a unique thing. He would be expected to be out in the field doing labor, but the Lord's presence shows favor to to Joseph, and so so Potiphar shows favor to Joseph. Verse 4 says, So Joseph found favor in in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. You have him finding favor and you have him having success. This word success means like to cut through or to force an entry. Joseph cuts through whatever barriers may have existed. Why? Because of the Lord's presence. And Joseph ends up finding favor with Potiphar and becoming the the overseer of all of Potiphar's estate, his house and his field. He's in charge of all of it. Potiphar, all he has to do is worry about what he's going to eat. And so the Lord's presence, it brought Joseph success. But secondly, it brought Potiphar success as well. It, it, It was a blessing to Potiphar. Verse three and then verse five. It says, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar sees that everything Joseph touches, proverbially speaking, turns to gold. Joseph is, (laughs) he's the cash cow for Potiphar. Whatever Joseph does succeeds. And so Potiphar says, I'm going to put as much responsibility into Joseph's hands as possible. Verse five, from that, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So God's presence, the Lord's presence, brings success for Joseph. It brings success for Potiphar. But but you know what else it does? The Lord's presence, it brought God's recognition. It made it so that God is at the forefront. Verse 3, again, I know we're repeating these verses, but it's, it's worth it to pull out of this what's going on in the text. Here's what it says. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Listen, Potiphar doesn't just know that everything Joseph does succeeds. Potiphar knows that the Lord is with Joseph. You know what's happening here. Potiphar has a front row seat to Yahweh's work. 
Potiphar has a, a front row seat to, to the one true God working through one of his people. Listen, God has now entered the arena of the pantheon of all the Egyptian gods. And in a few hundred years, God's going to show that he can destroy all of these other gods. But, but here, God is making his entrance into the ring, which is Egypt. God is being recognized as the Lord. Now, the Lord's presence is key to this passage, but, but I want us to pause here and remember, the Lord's presence is key to your life as well. You see, you and I, when we, when we find ourselves in a position like Joseph, if we ever find ourselves in a position where, where things are going well, where we are succeeding, where life is going as planned, where we are being elevated or promoted, where, where things are going great when you have success, here, here's what we remember we have to remember that we don't gloat when we have success. No, because our success is really because of God's, God's generous hand. Instead, when we find ourselves in a position like Joseph in this moment, when things are going well, this reminds us that we should thank God for his presence, for his kindness, for his goodness in our lives. It also means that we should put God on display. We should bless others when God has blessed us. That's what ends up happening. Joseph becomes a funnel of God's blessing. He doesn't hold on to it, but it ends up being funneled out of his life into, into Potiphar's household. We thank God. We bless others. And then ultimately we see that it is, it is for the key purpose of God's renown so that others will know that the Lord is the Lord. Your success is, it is very much meant to be a tool to demonstrate God's presence to a watching lost world. See, see, the Lord is with his own in times of success. But our story doesn't end right here. We, we, we gotta continue because this verse 6 gave us a hint that there's going to be something else happening. Verse 6 described Joseph's looks. And you might have been hearing that like, why is it talking about this? Let me, let me continue. Here's what we're going to see next. The Lord is with his own in times of seduction. The Lord is with his own in those moments when, when God's people are tempted and tried Specifically in this moment when, when there is a seduction happening to God's people. Follow along with me. Pick up again at the end of verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you were his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. You know what you see here? You see the Lord is, he is with Joseph in this seduction. He is with Joseph in this incredible temptation. Now, what a seduction. I mean, I want you to see a few things in this passage. First of all, I want you to remember that seduction is strong. 
This isn't some light, flippant temptation that's easy to walk away from. Seduction, especially in this passage, this is a strong seduction. I mean, think about it for a minute. First of all, this is a commanding seduction. You know what she says? She says this word, lie with me. The, the, the Hebrew word is to, is to lie down, but it really is. It's a euphemism used over and over again for, for, uh, for intimacy, for physical intimacy. She is very clear about this. She is, she is abundantly commanding in this moment. Here's what she says. She goes to Joseph and she says, lie with me. This is a woman throwing herself at him. This is a woman saying, I'm here and I'm ready Verse seven, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Remember, he was handsome in form and appearance. And she said, lie with me. Now, some of the timing of Joseph's life is not precise. But what we know based on him being sold into slavery when he's 17 years old, and then when he ends up entering into the house of Pharaoh, and then you count back a couple of years that we know that he's in prison before that, we know that, that Joseph spends uh, up to about nine years, it, it could be less, we'll talk about that more in a moment, but he could, he could have spent up to nine years in Potiphar's house. That means Joseph, while he's in Potiphar's house, he is between the ages of 17 and 26. Listen, he is a young, strapping man, and, and he has a woman throwing herself upon him. Lie with me. This is a commanding seduction. But listen, it's not just commanding. It is a constant seduction. Look at verse 10. She does not relent. Says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day, over and over. It says he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Listen, this was not a one and done proposal. This was not, he had one moment where he had to face temptation and then he was in the clear with no worries. This was a constant seduction. She was always casting her eye upon him. She was always offering herself to him. She was always beckoning him to her over and over and over again. Look at this commanding seduction, constant seduction. And last thing I would describe it with is it's a coercive seduction. You got to remember there's a power play in progress. Joseph might be young and handsome and, and he might have a lot of responsibility over his master's house, but he is a slave and she is the master's wife. She has a, a, an authority over him. This is like, at work, where your boss can fire you if you do not comply to his seductive wishes. Except in this case, it's, it's a woman approaching a man. This is a strong seduction. And so I want you to see how Joseph responds. I want you to see that godliness is what guides Joseph. Godliness guides. Joseph refuses. Look at why Joseph refuses. Verses uh, 8 and 9. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then, I can, can, how then can I do this great wickedness against 
my God. I, I think he gives three clear, compelling reasons for his refusal. The first reason is his master's trust. He, he says no, he refuses because he knows his master's trust. Joseph says he has put everything that he has in my charge. You got to believe Joseph has become fond of his master. His master certainly has become fond uh, of Joseph. Joseph doesn't want to betray that trust. The text doesn't say this, but, but I think there's a certain amount of potential like love for his master in this moment. So first is his master's trust. Secondly is, is her identity. Look at what he says. He says, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Look at this, because you are his wife. First reason he refuses. He says, my master, trust me. Second reason, he says, you're his wife. You are his wife. But third and most importantly is his own God. Look at the ending of his refusal. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I? Not, not only how can I betray my master's trust, not only how can I betray you and your identity as his wife, but, but how can I do this great wickedness before my God? Joseph understands sexual sin is not a subtle sin. Sexual sin is not a light sin. Sexual sin is not something that we should uh, diseng- or disregard quickly and ignore or, or, or diminish. Sexual sin is, 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 is not something that God kind of only cares about a little bit. Listen, God is abundantly clear, abundantly clear. Even before he gives his very law, sexual sin is a great great wickedness. You know, Joseph doesn't have the Proverbs. He, he doesn't have the written word of God, but it's almost as if he knows them. It's like Proverbs chapter six, verses 27 through 29. It says this, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Talk about a description of Joseph's understanding. Joseph understands that 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 great wickedness would cause great consequence. The proverb says that you can't take a burning, flaming log and carry it on your chest without consequence. Proverbs says you can't walk across burning coals without consequence. And Proverbs makes the point then that you cannot engage in sexual sin without great and grave and painful consequence. It makes the point that you will not go unpunished. Now, sometimes that punishment is in the next life. When we stand before the judge, sometimes that punishment is here and now. But, but sometimes here and now, sometimes in the world we live in, that the consequences aren't always what they should be. You, you want to look at a passage like this where Joseph stands strong in purity and you want, to, you want to see his trajectory increase and him have even more responsibility and trust for his master. But, but sometimes, sometimes in this broken world, when we are faithful, when we do things God's way, we, we don't get a blessing. We don't get rewarded because what we see here now is sometimes purity may be punished. That's what happens with Joseph. His purity ends up being punished Look at how verse 11 starts. 
but one day. You, you just feel the weight of these, this transitional phrase in the text. Remember, we're, we're having this story. Joseph has risen to the one leading Potiphar's house, and he has this Potiphar's wife approaching him over and over, and Joseph makes it really clear that he is refusing, and then he wants nothing to do with it, but one day. Now, the first time reader is reading this, and they're wondering, is he going to cave? Is he going to sin? Is he going to lie with her? Is he going to give in? Is he going to compromise? Is he going to commit that great wickedness? But, but listen to what the text says. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And you have to ask, why, was, why were there none of the men of the house there? A possible explanation is she commanded them all to leave. She has laid a trap. She, she has set the stage. She has made a plan and she has put it into action. She has sent all of the men out of the house. And then when Joseph, this man that she has kept her eye on day after day, that she has propositioned over and over, finally she has him alone. And this time she does not just say the words, lie with me. She grabs hold of his garment, of his coat, of his robe. She says, lie with me. How is Joseph going to respond? Joseph responds with purity, verses 12 through 13. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, the text continues for a moment, but, but here's what we see. One commentator says, Joseph loses his clothes but keeps his character. Joseph flees the situation. Joseph is backed into a corner and he finds the one and only escape hatch. He runs. He runs and she's holding onto his garment. He, you can almost imagine him pulling one arm out and then another arm out as he's fleeing for the door. He, he flees. Now this is... What an incredible illustration of a command that Christians have. You, know, you can stay right here, but, but, but write down this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, speaking to Christians. Here's what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. It says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You know what the scripture says about sexual sin? It says when you're confronted with it, you need to run. You need to hightail it out of there. You need to sprint. You don't wait. You don't hesitate. You don't ponder your options. You don't consider the proposition. You don't weigh the consequences. It says that you are to flee. You're to run. You know, you and I, I believe we should have a we should have a strategy when it comes to sexual temptation because we live in a sex-saturated world. I mean, you can't turn on the TV without commercials or even the programming giving you all of this imaging, all of this messaging, all of these pictures. You can't walk through the checkout stand in the grocery store. Don't even get me started on turning on the internet or your or your phone browser. 
You and I, we live in a, in a world that is saturated with sexual temptation. This means you and I, we need to have a battle plan. We need to have a strategy for when it comes to that moment of temptation. L- let, me, let me say, you, you can have part of Joseph's plan could be your plan. Look at Joseph's plan. I would argue that Joseph's plan, it, first of all, it includes the people he loves. Remember his first refusal? He says, I can't do this to my master. I can't do this to you. Now, I would argue that he has, if not love, he certainly has a loyalty to these people. What what, what would sexual sin in your life do to your loved ones? Just take a minute and, and consider, what would it do to your marriage? What would it do to your children what would it do to your parents? What, what would it do to your, to your future spouse? C- consider those who you love. Remember that, that we talked about this last week. When, when we sin, it's like a, a rock being dropped in a pond and the ripple effect goes through every relationship we have. It might not be visible, but spiritually speaking, it certainly exists. Consider the people you love. Secondly, consider the God you love. Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness before my God? If if you are in Christ, remember for a moment that Jesus, he loved you so much that he died. He paid the ultimate price. He bled and died to rescue you and I from the consequence of our sins, but also from a life of pursuing sin. Let's take a moment and reflect and remember the great love that your God has for you. And let that convict your heart to flee from sexual sin. This is, this is the third step. If Joseph's strategy is to remember those he loves, remember the God he loves, I, I would say the third step is if all else fails, flee, run, sprint. Hightail it out of there. For some of us, this means we need to avoid certain places. For some of us, this means we need to avoid certain people. For some of us, means we need some filters on our computer or some accountability software. Flee. I remember as a young man walking around my first, uh, my first quarter at the University of Washington, and it was the fall, and it was before uh, things really started getting cold. And, and it's amazing when you go to a college campus, a secular college campus, and you start looking around and you realize how little clothing people wear. I remember the temptation being everywhere. I remember walking with my eyes to the ground or with my eyes at the sky or sometimes walking as fast as I could through Red Square at the University of Washington just to keep my eyes away from temptation. Flee. Flee. Joseph responds with purity. Now, notice how she responds then. If we turn back to our story, Joseph responds with purity, but she responds with deceit. Verses 14 through 18. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came, he came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled to get out of the house. Then she said, 
there, and then she laid up his garment by her until his master came. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Oh. She's got all the evidence she needs in her hand. And really, she doesn't even need evidence because she knows something. She knows that Potiphar... Potiphar can't possibly, even if Potiphar knows in his mind the truth, Potiphar can't possibly receive the word of a slave above the word of his wife. She had Joseph trapped in one trap and he escaped. But this second trap, it's not just a trap for Joseph, it's a trap for Potiphar. I mean, do you even, can you hear the scorn she has for her husband? The Hebrew who you brought in here, the servant that you brought in here to laugh at me, she's blaming her husband. And she's doing it all the while, lying, deceiving. Joseph responds in purity. She responds with deceit. How is Potiphar going to respond? This is, this is what the reader, if we're, this is our first time on the text, we're wondering, what is Potiphar going to do? Potiphar responds with anger, verses 19 and 20. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now it's interesting. Potiphar's anger, there is no direct object of the anger. The text does not say who Potiphar is angry at, likely because he's not actually angry at Joseph. We read between the lines, Potiphar, he's probably angry at his wife. He knows what's really going on here. He, he's likely not a stupid man to be in such a high position. He understands the writing on the wall. He can read between the lines. He knows what's going on here. And because of his wife's, because of her desire, Potiphar is now losing his best, most trusted servant. Potiphar is now losing his servant who everything Joseph touches is successful. This is going to affect Potiphar's bottom line deeply. So his anger is kindled. He is upset. But listen, he does not respond with the correct punishment. Potiphar does not respond with the, the punishment that you would expect here. I mean, if her story is true, if really a Hebrew slave has come in and he has laid his hands upon the wife of one of the most powerful men in Egypt, who is the captain of the guard, who is actually the chief executioner for Pharaoh himself, if this man Joseph actually did this, you, you got to believe it without a doubt. Potiphar would not bat an eye and he would have this man executed immediately. That's not what he does though. He sends him to prison that he is responsible for. Potiphar is actually likely responsible over this very prison. You know what this shows us? God's working in the background. See, God's working in the background. See, just like you and I, we don't gloat if God elevates us and we experience success. This reminds us we need not fear. We need not fear when our faithfulness leads us to pain. We need not fear when our purity leads us to persecution. 
We need not fear when we cling to the, to the standards and to the word of God, especially in terms of sexual morality. When we cling to that, when the world around us, they, they have jettisoned every kind of, of moral when it comes to sexual ethic, we need not fear when our faithfulness leads to pain. See, God is with his own in success. God is with his own in seduction. But finally, the Lord is with his own in times of suffering. Back up to verse 19. Let's, let's get this story, let's bring it to a conclusion here. But let's start at verse 19. It says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You know, the very beginning, we said the Lord's presence is the key to this passage. I'm going to repeat that right here. The Lord's presence is the key to this passage. Verse 21, it says, the Lord was with him. Verse 23 says, the Lord was with him. In the very beginning of the book, it says the Lord was with him twice also. We have these bookends of this story. These bookends of the story make, the, make it really clear that the one main point of the story is that the Lord was with Joseph. See, God's presence here in this moment is based upon what I'll call God's guarantee. God's presence is based upon God's guarantee. See, the text says in verse 21 that the Lord showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. That word steadfast love, this is the word that is used to describe God's covenantal love to his people Israel. God's covenantal love to his people Israel is God saying, I am going to love you, period. I'm going to be faithful to you, period. No matter how far away from me you run, no matter how sinful you become, no matter how stupid you act, I am going to love you. I am going to fulfill the promise that I made to my servant Abraham. You got to turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses one and three, one through three. Listen, just let me introduce you to or remind you of the promise God made to Abraham. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in all you or in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God made a promise to make Abraham and his descendants great. Joseph falls in line with those descendants, and God is going to use Joseph to protect Abraham's descendants in time. See, see God's presence, it's based upon God's guarantee, but God's presence also reveals God's glory. Verse 23 again. Notice what happens with the keeper of the prison. Just like how Pharaoh saw that it was the Lord's favor, Look at what the, the keeper of the prison sees. 
It says, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph in success. The Lord was with Joseph in his or in seduction. And then the Lord is with Joseph in times of seduction. Now, this same language with you, I just want to bring this home to us today. Because we can read this story from thousands of years ago and we can say, okay, what does this mean for me today? Okay, I get it. The Lord was with Joseph, but the same language with you, it's not just used of Joseph in this story. It's the same language Jesus uses for those who are his disciples right now. See, I want you to remember that the Lord is with his own today. The Lord is with you today. He's with you. Here's what I mean. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came to them, his disciples. Look at what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Time out. Joseph been given all the authority by Pharaoh, right? There, there's some parallels here. There's some, some familiar language here. Keep going. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. Understand this though. This says, first of all, that the Lord is with his disciples. What is a disciple? Uh, simply put, the most basic understanding, a disciple is someone who, who has put their faith in Jesus. That they have trusted in Jesus in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. They believe that Jesus paid the price for all of their sin and they rest in the finished work of Jesus knowing that they have eternity in heaven to inherit. And so because of that, a disciple is someone who's living a life following Jesus today. They trust and they follow Jesus. So the Lord is with his disciples. See, this isn't just a blanket promise. It says, hey, if you just happen to be here at church today and you listen to this message, but you don't trust in Jesus, you don't believe that he died and rose again, this is not a promise that applies to you. But just like the Lord was with Joseph in success, in seduction, and suffering, the Lord says, I am with you always, my disciples. In fact, the Lord is with you forever. He says, always, even to the end of the age. There is never going to be a moment in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ that his presence is absent. There is not one moment in your life if you have trusted in Christ that he will be absent from you. So the Lord is with his disciples. The Lord is with you forever. But, but understand this. The Lord is with you for his cause. The Lord is with you for his cause. God was with Joseph for his purposes. We're going to see those unfold over the next few weeks more. But listen, Jesus is with you and he says, go and make disciples. He says, live according to my purpose for you. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm here to be your BFF and I want to comfort you in all of your difficulty so you can have a happy and healthy and wealthy life. I want to make sure your life is nice and easy and you have no problems. No, he says, I am with you so that you can make disciples so you can tell others about what I've done. So you can share with everyone you know that I died and rose again because I love them. And if they trust me, I will forgive their sins. I will make them clean. I will make them new and I will give them eternal life. 
the Lord is with you. Jesus is with you for his cause. Which finally, I'd say, the Lord is with you for your confidence. That means you can be confident. You can be confident in the face of temptation when you have a moment like Joseph has where you are faced with great seduction. In that moment, you can choose purity because the Lord is with you. You, the Lord is with you in your tasks when you're at work, when you're serving at work, when you're working at work, guess what? You're actually serving the Lord. He is with you there and he has called you to serve him as you work for your employee, employer. Now, this means that you can have confidence to share the gospel. You have confidence to serve others in love. What this means is that this is, this is a calling for you and I to dedicate all of ourselves to his plans. This is a moment when you come to the Lord You come before him, hands open. In fact, I want you to do this right now. Just put your hands forward in front of you. Put your hands in front of you, close your eyes. You don't have to say this out loud, but I want you to to approach the Lord in your heart in this moment as you realize the Lord, he is with you, he has saved you, he has called you to his cause and for your confidence. This is a moment where you come before the Lord and you dedicate yourself to him completely. In your heart, if you're willing, just say these words to him. Say, Lord Jesus, whatever you want for my life, whether success or suffering or faithfulness in in seduction, whatever you want for my life, may I live for your purpose, knowing that you are always with me. Just just approach the Lord without spirit right now. God, I'm all yours. I, I see Joseph and his ups and downs. I'm all yours. I, I saw that you elevated Joseph. I see your goodness in my life. I am all yours. I see that you got Joseph through seduction. Lord, I am facing temptation myself. I'm turning away from it. I'm fleeing. I'm running from sin. God, I am all yours. Jesus, I see Joseph suffering in prison, falsely accused. Lord, even if I should suffer, I'm all yours. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that they would sense the gravity of your work through your son, Jesus. I I pray that we would see your presence in the life of Joseph your sovereign hand over his life, and we would remember that your sovereign hand is over each of our lives. I pray it would move us toward your purposes, not our own. Help us to remember you are always with us. In the good, in the bad, in the seductive, you are always with us. So in whatever situation we find ourselves in, Lord, let us turn our attention to you. Let us depend upon you. Let us dedicate ourselves to you completely. Lord, we are all yours. And we pray this in the great name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.